You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 230. Today, I'm sitting down with Coach Matthew, and we're talking all about driving program adherence. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And if this is the first time you're hanging out with me today, welcome. I'm super pumped that you're here. I'm really excited to bring to you a very special interview that I did with Coach Matt. Matt is a strength coach and college professor from Boston. He's an experienced strength and conditioning coach with a demonstrated history of working in high performance settings since 2007. He is a college professor of exercise science at Quincy College full-time and Maryville University part-time and the director of strength and conditioning for gold standard basketball training part-time and a doctorate student in human and sport performance. He is the founder of Athletic Performance University, an online mentorship course helping strength and conditioning coaches and exercise science students improve in career cornerstone skills like coaching, creating, and communicating. And we break all that down inside of today's episode. Currently, he is in the midst of writing a book through human kinetics on the topic of training for athletic performance. He is a public speaker and has presented nationally in over 20 U.S states highlighted by his presentations at the National Strength and Conditioning Association, Perform Better, Sports Academy, formerly Mamba Sports Academy, Exos Inside Google Headquarters, UFC Performance Institute, Stanford University, Duke University, and Equinox, in addition to several international presentations throughout Europe. His work has been featured in Eccentric, Future, Hoop Study, Men's Journal, Science for Sport, Strength Conditioning, StrengthCoach.com, T Nation, Train Heroic, and True Coach. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. What's up, Matthew? How are you? Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I am good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Beverly. I'm super pumped to get into our convo today. So for those of you who are tuning in and you have not been introduced to Matthew's work, I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about who you are, who you serve, and how you got there. So this is a great question to ask, and I'm sure you ask everyone who comes on, and I I think it's super important. I always get like stymied when people ask me, I'm like, oh, what do I do? Like, how do I help people? And, you know, who do I serve? And so for me, I think the easiest thing to do, because my wife yells at me that I do too many things, the <laughs> easiest thing for me to ex- to explain is I am a coach and I help people in performance and health. That's probably the easiest way to, to get to it. What that really means is, is I've been a, a strength and conditioning coach for over 15 years now, full-time for 13 of them. And for the past two years, I was kind of like a nomad strength coach, in-home trainer, travel to people's homes, slash part-time or adjunct college professor at a couple or actually a few different universities and colleges. For the past six months, uh, my primary job now is a, it, it's, it's where you're seeing me, 
It's a full-time assistant professor here at Quincy College in, in Quincy, Mass. So it's an, it, it's a town that neighbors Boston, Mass. So that's my full-time job. My wall is one to get academia. So this is kind of my initial full-time way in. I'm still extremely and heavily involved in, in strength conditioning and health and performance and training. I'm also the director of strength conditioning at a, at a company called Gold Standard Basketball. That job is obviously part-time. That's more overseeing and developing athletic performance for youth, high school, and college basketball boys and girls locally here in Boston. And I try to educate and provide support to students outside of the classroom as well through my company, Athletic Performance University, which is an online mentorship program. To round it out, I'm also a PhD student in human and sport performance. That is at, I'm going to say this one time because it's really long, Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions in Utah, which I'll be flying out to next week for a a four-day hands-on component of the PhD work. I mean, what a journey. How, <laughs> I mean, where do we even begin? Okay, this is incredible. Thank you for sharing. So I love, you know, I guess my, my one thing that I am interested in is, you know, what what brought you to the this world? Were you a former athlete? What happened? Like, how did you, how did you get here? It's a good question. I think everyone has their own story, you know, whether it's, you know, being a bro and reading men's fitness in high school or maybe, you know, tearing your ACL in, in high school sports and wanting to rehab it. So for me, I think it's a combination of being obsessively curious, being extremely observant, really enjoying movement, training, exercise, health, athletics, sports, playing sports and at the high school level, getting hurt understand the the physical therapy rehab side, undergoing some of those pieces. And then it was kind of like a convergence of trying to go to PT in rehab school, doing some SNC and training, interning at a place like Mike Boyles here in Boston. That's a really well-known kind of world-renowned facility. And then kind of like, wait a second, you can do a little bit of everything. And the whole educational academic piece and that side of things was like, I I was not a good undergraduate student. It took me six years to graduate with a bachelor's, failed out several courses, got put in academic probation, finally graduated with, with a 2.961. I will never forget that GPA with way too many credits that I should have taken. And I said, you know what? I was able to, to make it out of a bachelor's unscathed. I probably should give back and pay it forward to students like myself who are struggling. And so I knew that the only way to do that, in addition to obviously, you know, guest lecturing or or trying to speak at schools and colleges and, and universities, was to get a master's and then get a PhD to be able to formally educate and teach at the academic level. Okay, great. So your students that you work with, what are their objectives? What's the reason that they come to your classes? Yeah, so I think that's a good question. And I think this goes along with the initiative in the, in the next three to five years, I don't know the exact timeline, both NSCA, so National Strength Conditioning Association, as well as the ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, individually, both governing bodies, if you will, will be uh, requiring that if you're going to prepare students to get the NSCA, CSCS to become a strength coach, or the ACSM, I think it's CEP, like Certified Exercise Physiologist Certification, that that curriculum in those governing bodies needs to be inputted into the academic curriculum as well for alignment. And so that's something that's very, very interesting and, and positive for us in the field, because it essentially says, hey, you know, those old textbooks and old ways of teaching, for lack of a better way of saying this, we need to make everything more new, you know, refine everything and enhance everything, which in turn 
will let make us less aggravated when we go on social media because of all the people who are in our field that maybe you know have gotten in because of the low barrier of entrance and aren't upholding the 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 standards of the field that's kind of me saying it in a very nice way so i think it, it uh, what they're looking for students and i had a great conversation with a buddy of mine just before that who's an academic as well is we need to get away from like, hey, here's the textbook. I'm going to lecture you. I'm going to read from these slides. I'm going to have PowerPoint slides with a million bullet points. Like you've lost the student. The current student, 18 to 22 is your typical student. But I have students who are in their 50s and 60s. And so you have to be really open-minded to, I need to lecture and talk a little bit, but we need to have an open discussion and dialogue, hands-on application, because it's a movement-based field. Like I need to show them and talk to them, hey, here's the anatomy, the physiology, that's great. The kinesiology, that's awesome. The science is important. Math, show me, apply this. Don't just memorize these things. And so what I try to do in the classroom is challenge students in a way that is hopefully educational and has a learning path to it where I want them to apply these concepts and show me, don't just talk to me about it. I think the practical component is absolutely essential when it comes to educating high level and, you know, really raising the industry standards because nobody learns how to swim by reading a book on learning how to swim. You have to get in the water, right? And so, you know, with these types of, I guess it's going to also beg the question, and I'm curious your opinion on it, and I haven't done any research on it anymore as I'm no longer training myself personally, is that, you know, since we're adding this into the academic world, the practical component, is the practical component going to be a requirement in order to be certified? I think it should be. And I haven't looked into it enough yet, but I hope that it is because the way I'm looking at it is, or thinking about it is, if I'm going to become a dentist, right? <laughs> I'm going to have to, I know, I, I know, wow, this is like, wow, like, whoa, earth shattering stuff. I'm going to have to work physically, practically on someone's mouth, their dentures. So for me, it's like, okay, if, if we're going to provide students, give them all of the tools on a coaching or training tool belt in the classroom through application and practicality, then they need to go do those things out in the field, out in the like actual real world scenarios. And so for me, I think it's really important. And that's why I'm very fortunate, I believe, that I'm coming from the coaching world and still active in it. That, that's key for me because I know, and we've all had professors when we were in undergrad or high school where we're sitting and saying like, really? Like they got, they, you know, maybe they got their master's or PhD and it's like, everything is textbook, textbook, textbook. What have you done from an application standpoint? By no means am I sitting here calling anyone up. That's not my, my, my goal. My goal is how can we work together as a team to in, you know, increase the standards of academia so that when they get into the field as strength conditioning coaches, personal trainers, fitness professionals, that they're ready, they're equipped, they're prepared. And that was what kind of was like irking me a ton to the point where I created Athletic Performance University, which is an eight, eight-week online mentorship program, shameless plug. The reason I did that is because I'm, I got so like undergraduate exercise science, junior, senior year, like they need to be out in the field. Like they need to be interning, volunteering, observing, hands-on. Like, like I go back to Sandlot, the movie Sandlot, like go out there, Benny, get dirty, climb fences, don't get in too much trouble. And it's like, they need to get their hands dirty a bit. So I wanted to put something out there that says, Hey guys, this is not classroom based. This is not 
SNC weight room field based request training. It's kind of that middle gap to help you when you get into the field, you know how to apply these concepts of creating training programs from scratch, communicating at an effective high level, like Jenny Rear talked about, and coaching, like actually coaching through using your social skills to reach each individual athlete and client. I think you're bringing up two really important points that I feel like so many people, especially, you know, because especially what I have seen just in my career and in my, in my life working in a commercial gym, I feel like a lot of coaches that they're, they, they go into the commercial gym and that's their hands-on experience essentially. And as a former district fitness manager in a commercial gym, I know the ivory tower. There's this ivory tower experience of people that are at corporate that aren't in the field, making all these rules and regulations that we just have to arbitrarily meet. However, it can be a very powerful experience because it gives you that missing component of getting your hands dirty or or you know i love that movie sandlot by the way yeah yeah <laughs> it dates me but i do love that i do love that movie but of getting your your hands dirty so it's, it ends up being a great jumping off point but it would be awesome if we could just raise industry standards which is why you created this which is mm -hmm. amazing the second thing in addition to the ivory tower i think is that component of work of, of trying it on of application that also is missing. So I'd love for you to share with us, what are some of the things that you see in your mentorship with your coaches that come in? What are some of the misconceptions that they operate from that you work to shift inside of your program? So I got really lucky. This is the first cohort. It just started literally this week. Sold out 15 spots within like two or three weeks. And I got super grateful for that. We got NSCA CEUs through it. And so the goal is to continue to build that out and help refine it over time, make it better, maybe have an in-person component. But essentially the way that I'm looking at it is I have eight weeks. I have eight topics or modules to help you with that I've outlined in the, the, you know, we have people from all over the world, Ireland, UK, the States, like I'm super grateful for that. And we have a nice little like WhatsApp group chat that's going on all the time, discussion board assignments, hot topics, like here's a podcast, check it out. And like just ongoing discussion. So number one, thinking freely. I think mm -hmm. that's really important. Like not giving them like, Hey guys, here are the crayons. Just, just draw. I don't care where you draw, draw on the wall, like make a mess. Like let's have a blast. Let's have some of those muddy open discussions so we can, Hey, be, be wrong or, or make a mistake and understand concepts and how, how to apply things. So I, I would say be messy is number one and think freely. Number two is I think when you look at the topics or the themes that I've come up with, you're like, this seems way too simple, way too basic. And that's intentional because I'm directly targeting a specific population. I want the junior, senior, undergrad student slash one to five year in coach or, or fitness professional. And so I specifically want that audience, but also I have found that this little thing in my hand, TikTok, Instagram, and I'm sure you see it as well, Beverly, it's like all these sexy, cool things. Last time I checked, cool does not equal good for your athletes and clients. Good equals good. So for me, it's, it's kind of reining people in and saying, hey guys, I want to help you. Like we tell people with exercise and training, become savagely good at the basics, right? Squat, deadlift, bench press, pull up, so on and so forth. My thing is, I want to help you become savagely good at the basics of writing programs. So I give them three very specific, very detailed, very outlined training program templates. And then I say, guys, look, this is not me saying, you know, here's your crayons, draw on the lines. I want to help you become so good at these three basic templates 
which there's a gen pop client one and athletic performance one and kind of a mixture of hybrid blend. So that when you're done with me in eight weeks, you're like, hey, I'm so good at the basics now. I've created a really robust exercise library of over a thousand exercises. I have three program design templates. I can train anyone, athlete, gen pop, fitness client, so on and so forth. And I'm ready to start training people right away. So this is for if they don't have a background. And if they do have a little bit of a background, my hope is that it enhances their ability to be more efficient and systematic. And so some of the things that you're seeing coming up is there might be someone post a TikTok video, an Instagram video, this exercise, that exercise. And I'm sure you see it as well. You're like, that's awesome. Like, that's totally cool. But where's the context of that? So we, we delve a lot into specifics. And, you know, my friend, Zach Gabor came up with this a long time ago. He said to me a long time ago, who's a great physio here in the state. He said, if you can prove it to me in logic court with sound rationale, like your methodologies, like, why are you doing that exercise? What is it going to help? then you've won. If you can't prove it in logic court, why are you putting that exercise in your program? So exercise selection becomes this really important topic. Oh, okay. I love it. And I feel like, and I love it. The, the, I always talk about profitability metrics instead of popularity metrics. And it all comes down to principles, right? And reiterating the, the principles. And in order to do that, you have to know what they are. And most people are looking for like the shiny object, like, oh, this, oh, that, right? Shiny object syndrome, as opposed to just becoming, you know, reiterating the basics over and over again. It's true masters become masters when one, they say, I know nothing, right? And they're just repeating the basics over Mm -hmm. and over. You know, I think people miss that, especially in the shiny object world of social media, (laughs) right? And, And it's just, which is, it's a blessing and a curse, right? The law of polarity, you cannot have light without the dark. So I, it's, it's a good thing. It's just, you have to be able to navigate it. So I'm curious for you specifically when you're talking about the programs, can you walk me through your process in terms of how you carry someone through an assessment and then build out those programs and how they can use it in their life, in their careers? Yeah. So like a simple way to look at assessments, some people call them evaluations, the consultation, like first time I'm meeting a human being, right. For a training session. Number one, it shouldn't necessarily be a training session. It should be, it's, it's, you know, it should be very context rich, very information, information based. But also, I need to see what's under the hood of the car to give you feedback on how I think we should be driving it. And so it, when I have an assessment with an in-person or online client, absolutely 1000% up front, I'm having you fill out a questionnaire form. I have 30 questions I put together, very simple stuff like, you know, what do you do for your work? What has worked for you in the past for fitness? What are your training goals, injury history, all these things, right? And then I review that and then we schedule that session so that I've had a chance to at least familiarize myself a little bit with that individual to have some key talking points and some yellow, maybe red flag discussion or things that I've kind of earmarked to to really highlight. And I want to get really nitty gritty. So I'm a big detailed context rich person because the assessment, in my opinion, should write the training program for you. They're like, what does it grow legs and write it? What? Like, that's what people think when I say that. So it's the information gathered from that assessment should basically, you're just plugging and playing that information into the template. That's how it should go. Because within the context of an assessment, obviously we're looking at basic movements like squat pattern, hip hinge pattern, push-up pattern, pull pattern, plant, all these wonderful things. In addition to, I need to understand your needs analysis. So for me, I'm looking at, okay, if it's a sport athlete, what are the biomechanics or common movements in your sport? 
okay, great. You're a hockey goalie. You're, you're in professional hockey. You're commonly using your hips, IR, ER, mobility. Okay, that's going to be a big area of, of focus along with other things. Okay, what are the bioenergetics or energy system demands of your sport? Again, we'll use that hockey goalie, you know, fast, powerful movements, shifting left and right, aerobic, anaerobic. There's a combination, whatever. And then injury risks associated with that position of that sport. So goalie, hockey goalie, groin, adductor, inner thigh region, highly susceptible, high volume usage. Keep an eye on that the same way you would, for example, a baseball pitcher, IR, ER, like they're throwing high velocity, high volume. So that's that information gathered should then help me. Needs analysis, the movement screens, and the whole assessment intake questionnaire, in addition to me actually having a conversation with someone. Like, I think we can also pick up on body language. If someone's like really in pain and they're wincing versus they're smiling, they're giggling, they're, you know, they're, they're high energy, I can gain some information off of those pieces. All of that goes into the training program. If it's a client, I st- like a general pop client who's not playing a sport, I'm still looking at things the same exact way, like lifestyle factors. Oh, you're a mailman. You're leaning to one side with 40, 50 pounds, walking for three or four hours a day, so on and so forth. And so you kind of fill those buckets. Once the buckets are filled, the assessment, the screen, the questionnaire, the needs analysis, again, that helps you write the training program. So amazing. I love that. In terms of the principles of your training program, what is the flow that you tend to build out that you would say is the most effective to both to both get gain adherence from the client as you know that idea, you know, we hear keep the program the same, don't program jump, but then clients get bored. So how do you navigate the dance of driving adherence as well as performance in your programming? Mm -hmm. So let's divvy this up online and in person, because I think both have very unique perspectives. So I'll go in person first, because that's a little bit easier. So for the purpose of program adherence or compliance from the athlete or the client, I think the most important thing is take the piece of paper, the program, throw it in the trash. Because that is not as valuable as your interaction. Like I have learned the the very hard way a long time ago, your interpersonal, intrapersonal, and social, your soft skills of coaching are like, do you have empathy? Are you okay with being vulnerable as a coach? Are you okay with not being right all the time? And for me, it's like, I have checked my ego at the door for all these things coming up about five or six years ago, and it completely changed and shifted the way I coach. So for me is be the Mickey to their Rocky, right? Like you're helping your athlete and client get to their end goal, get up the mountain, so to speak, for you know, a visual analogy. It's not necessarily you're coaching at them or to them. You're working with them. You're guiding them. Look up the word coach, instruct, guide, give feedback, support, help. Like all of these things are important. That's why when I opened up, I said, I'm a coach, that that's what I do. I'm a coach in all of the hats that I wear. So adherence is, do you have a really good coach to athlete relationship? That's number one. If you don't, they're not going to really enjoy being around you. If they're not going to be enjoying being around you, they're not going to pay you for your services. So for me, it's building the really good relationship. Remember, and this is this part, and I'm sure you've seen it in corporate health and wellness and fitness. We are in the service-based industry. Right. So we, we, we can't forget we are here to serve them. Right. So that's a really important thing. I always liken this to going to like a fine dining experience. You spend maybe upwards of $200 or so. The, the lighting is there, you know, the, the ambiance, the, the music, it, all of these things have to flow and has to be 
uh, you have to be attentive to because you're serving the client and athlete. So for me, it's if I want to have adherence, number one is I, I need to have a really good buy-in and trust. So trust and buy-in comes with when that client or athlete, let's say they're they're in a ton of pain and they're really, really like guarded, you have to over time prove that you actually care about them and their training goals, not by telling them, by showing them through your actions, consistency, showing up, being accountable. So that's number one, build that relationship, that rapport to, to have that like athlete to client relationship, or I'm sorry, athlete to coach relationship. Number two is be really simple in your programming to start, to start, be really simple in your program to start. At the end of each training block or phase, some people do four weeks, some people do a month, some people do between three and six weeks. I have found four weeks is my sweet spot. So on the third week of the four-week program, I'll say, hey, Beverly, this is our phase recap. We're just going to check in. I have about five or six questions I'm going to ask you. Don't you worry. You don't have to write anything down. I'll write it for you. I'll be the scribe. I'd love to hear, how are things going? Are we getting closer to your goals on a one-to-five rating like was the program, how, how, how would you rank the program? One means it was awful. Five means it was incredible. Like, give me your rating. No, no, and they can do it online as well if they don't want to do it to your face. That's totally cool. And then you talk about what exercises did you like? What exercises did you dislike? What exercises were okay? Because what that is doing is it's getting their input. You want to have their input. That shows that you're validating what they think, want, and need. And when you add things, he's like, you know, Beverly might say, hey, you know what? Program is awesome, Matt, but I want to do bicep curls. <laughs> now, scientific bro, Matt's like, bicep curls are functional and healthy. But I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, right? No, but look, this is how this is how coach, right? right? I'm laughing because I have fallen into this trap, yeah, right? right? You know, it's always bicep curls and core training. Those are like the two things. It's like, yeah. you know, you're good when you're like, it's not functional. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you have to take your bro science cap off for a moment and put your human cap on and say, like, I get it. Like vanity, like aesthetics, they want some biceps. I get it. They want some abs. You as a coach should be able to put together an evidence-based program that is scientifically based, but also smart, intelligent that can still add in some of those aesthetic goals in a very seamless manner. AKA you want to build bicep curls. Awesome. We're going to do a half nail bicep curl and overhead press. I get core, I get hip, I get shoulders. You get biceps, win-win, high five, right? Being creative and thoughtful and using critical thinking skills to your advantage as a coach, that is how you do it. You gather the client's feedback and input. You want them to feel like they are a part of the process and not the process. That is super crucial. The other piece is, and that's how you get away from the staleness and like, oh, things are like, it's the same program every time. That's why when I gave my APU, Athletic Performance University students, I gave them three different templates, right? You could essentially rotate those. Template one, phase one. Template two, phase two. Template three, phase three. And then rotate, rotate, rotate. That could be a way to do it. You could have up to five templates, right? So have different templates, have input, have feedback, build trust and buy-in. And, and you want to make sure that you're always checking in with them. At least once a week, they're like, hey, how are things going? How are you liking it? You want, you know, are we on the, are we on the right path? Are you getting closer to your goals? Is it sucking or is it, be, is it becoming stale? Let me know. I'm always happy to serve. Hey, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then, you know, I'm also curious, do you navigate, especially with this new cohort, do you navigate the, you know, what a coach does when they get feedback that they don't particularly like, or maybe they, you know, they get on their feedback form, this program sucks. Like then what, what do you, how do we navigate those crucial conversations? 
been there, done that. And I think the biggest thing is you have to be able to have a slice of humble pie and understand that it's not feelings based. If someone says they don't like your program, they're not saying they don't like you. Or at least I hope, at least I hope. Mm-hmm. What that is saying is, and again, there are unique instances when not every human being is easy to work with or deal with. And I get that. Those are outliers. But generally speaking, most people are nice if you're nice to them. Like just be kind and hopefully what you put out in the world comes back. So what I'm getting at is if someone says, if you ask them for a critique and you ask them for input and feedback, you have to be okay with having alligator thick skin and taking that. And again, it's not feelings-based. The way you emotionally receive it and say, hey, you know what? You didn't like those squats. I'd love to understand why. Is there something that was specifically bothering you in the squats? Yeah, they kind of bugged my knees and they were really cranky for days. Oh, okay. In that case, I can give you a different variation. So I think being okay with getting constructive criticism and or feedback. And then number two, having some of those difficult slash uncomfortable conversations where you have to ask them, hey, are you okay? Can we dig? Are you okay with digging a little bit deeper so I can then firmly understand what you mean so that I can then make the proper changes for you to keep your adherence up? And I think that part, if you show someone, Hey, it looks like looks like a, like I, I failed you. How can we make this better? Someone's gonna want to tell you because that tells them that you're open to making it better. Why wouldn't they want that? And so, getting comfortable in some of those kind of muddy, uncomfortable conversations, like language communication, understanding ways to speak to people to meet them at their volumes, or maybe they're more high energy, and just meeting them and helping them on their path, but being okay with that feedback. That's a first big step for a lot of people. So we definitely cover that in the, there's a module three, which is language and communication, the power of, that's a big, big component. We're going to dive into a module three of the course. Okay. So I love that. And now I'm curious. Okay. I'm curious because I think that there, there's nuance here because I always talk about two levels of problems, right? You've got the problem that the client thinks that they're in and then the problem that they're really in. Mm. And sometimes they they want to solve the problem that they're really in in a specific way. And you as a coach have to facilitate the uncomfortable conversation that I always equate to like my kids, right? As a parent, it's my job to create the boundaries, to facilitate the change that you might not necessarily like, but I'm going to speak to your potential and it's going to require me to shift your perspective, right? And I feel like that is advanced levels of communication that is uncomfortable. So how do you how do you navigate that when a client's like, no, I don't want to do that, but you know it's something that they need, they just don't want to do it. How do you navigate that? That's a great question. And the biggest thing I think is the you mentioned the environment. So is it the best time to do this in person on the coaching floor when the music's blaring, you got Taylor Swift on the radio, you got four or five other clients, like it's hot in there, it's busy. And probably not, right? Hey, do you mind if we sit down after the session for five or 10 minutes? Or you know, better yet, if that doesn't work for you, are you free later for a phone call so that we're both at, at a place in time where we can, or maybe meet up for coffee at a place in time where we can really dedicate ourselves to this specific topic. That is the environment is so crucial because those other stressors that are around will kind of dimmer down when you're in a one-on-one setting. So that's that's crucial. Number two is, I think it's healthy to have the, those uncomfortable, challenging conversations because that allows you as a coach to, to grow and develop. Setting the boundaries is really important as well. You know, I work with a lot of different 
I'm using the word different very specifically here, online athletes and clients now. Because during the school year when I teach, I still do in person, but to a very, very much a, a lesser extent from a schedule standpoint. So online is even more of a beast, right? Like how do I, because there's millions of online programs. And I have some clients who they like to send me videos of what other coaches and trainers are doing in the field. And I'm like, that's cool. That's awesome. But when I write you a program, I want your feedback specifically. And I want to make sure it's between you and I, because again, those exercises might be cool. And then we maybe get to some of those things at one point or another. But remember, when you see stuff on social media, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, my online client, there's no context behind that, right? So we need to keep that in mind. It's not specific to you. Part of the reason why you pay me specifically sought me out and pay me and filled out that form, which is pretty, it's a long, long process is because I have to imagine you're seeking my expert opinion or an opinion that you want. So if that's the case, I think it's going to be really helpful for us to, and I'm, I'm almost kind of going through what I, how I speak to them now. I think it's really helpful for us is if I love your feedback and input, but please send that input when I sit, when I give you the form. Aside from that, I want to make sure that you're adhering to the four week program, because in order for this to work, we need to do this together. And so I think always coming back to, hey, this is this is us, this is a team, you know, put it, put it on, hey, how can I be better for you? And if you as the coach know that you're literally doing everything humanly possible to help them, it's okay to give them some professional tough love. Again, nuanced, like I might not do this after the first session. It might, you know, I like, I like to get to a point where I'm two to three months in of a program with someone. So we have a little bit of a boundary set now. And then you can have some of those, you know, you'll have, you'll have conversations where online training athletes and clients don't fill out their workouts. They don't submit their forms that are kind of like, and you're kind of like, oh, well, they're still paying me, but yeah, you're not able to coach them properly and get feedback to make the proper changes and technical nuances that you want to. So reach out, Hey, for this to work, we really need to have us keeping track feedback, checking in is super important so on and so forth. So I don't know that there's one right answer, but I think there are multiple ways to do it. It's just a matter of building the comfort to do it first. Yeah, it's so good. And you also, you you bring up a really good distinction between in-person and online. So as someone who has facilitated transformations for both, I'm curious, what are some of the biggest differences that you have noticed in an online relationship versus the in-person relationship? As you can see through the video, I use my hands a lot and I'm, I'm very, I act out my words and this is just kind of how I operate. I'm very comfortable speaking. So if I have you as an athlete or a client in person, I promise you that that client, that athlete coach O-meter will be surging very, very quickly compared to an online, you know, that like that buy-in O-meter, like that, like that filling up. And so it's it's just more challenging online. So in person, I'm a big high five, fist bump, like great job. That 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 human interaction piece is really important for me. Like, you know, hand on the shoulder, like awesome job there, giving positive compliment sandwiches, like, hey, great job, Beverly. I'd like to go a little bit, a little bit lower on the squat there, but let's keep it the good work, right? Bread, meat, bread, right? So helping them feel like, wow, like he actually cares about what I'm doing. He's actually paying attention. He's observing these small details are so important like attention to details so important like specificity so in person is in like way easier in my opinion online you're like well how do i still get this across 
Anytime it's a brand new online athlete or client, the first video they get like, hey, your phase is here. It's brand new. Here's what we're going over. It's a video. And I use True Coach. I'll send them a video, like a quick one minute. Phase one, good luck. Here's how it's going to work. Here's what the focus points are. Keep me in the loop. Awesome job. Fist bump. Video off. And then throughout that first week, two weeks, I might pepper in a couple more videos so they feel like there's a visual component. And then after that, once they feel comfortable, every single exercise, they need to fill out and log, hey, I did this weight, I did this color band, I did this dumbbell, this barbell, whatever. And I want you as an athlete, as an online athlete or or client to send as many videos my way from the, the training program that I can give you feedback and critique on. And so there's another component there, that element. I think when they reach certain goals or certain milestones or certain things they're trying to achieve, making sure they know like how awesome they are when, when, when they do that. Again, through quick videos, quick little audios, quick texts, all on one app to make it easier for you as the coach or the, app, the trainer. That's the best way that I have found thus far to get that across, but also constant, constant weekly check-ins. Like that's important. Like I don't go three days without, Hey, Hey, Beverly, how are things going? Like just checking in, like all is good. Keep me posted. Mm. Okay, great. So I'm curious, what do you do to navigate? Like when, when a client stops adhering, what would you say in your opinion are some of the causes that they stop showing up for themselves? And what do you do to redirect? Yeah. If it's online or in person, you know, is the program to their liking? I would ask myself that first. Like if I like, Hey, do they actually like what they're doing? They haven't showed up the past week. They've called out, they canceled, they haven't filled out their online form, whatever it may be. So just, that's why I think every three days or so checking in just a quick little, Hey, like if you're with someone in person and they're coming twice a week, you probably don't have to do that as much because, you know, they have a scheduled day and time, but if it's online, it's more asynchronous. So that's where I like to check in every three days. It's little as, Hey, happy Sunday. How are things going to checking in, making sure you're good. Any questions, let me know. Thanks. Have a great day. And if you have a few of those messages sent out and there's no reciprocation, no response, that might be a time to say, Hey, I've noticed you missed some workouts. Totally cool. It's all good. I understand life happens. Let's say it's one or two weeks of, of they're ignoring you and they didn't give you any heads up why they're ignoring you. They're not doing the program. That's a time where maybe I'd go to email and or phone call uh, just to reach out and say, Hey, I've sent a few messages on the app. I reached out a few times. I'm just checking in A, to see if you're okay, if everything's okay. B, to let me know if there's something I can do to help and see what are the ways we can work together as a team to get you back on track. And if it still doesn't work, well, then that's a case where unfortunately, you know, they're, they're no longer with you. And that's just kind of is what it is. But that's the, those are the attempts I would make kind of progressively over time. And what are some of the common reasons why people fall off that you've noticed? In my experience, lack of consistent communication, effort, and adherence as the coach, trying to get them you know, doing the things that we want to help them do. And that's something where as a coach, you need to not just say, oh, it's on them. It's not me. Like Instead of using this finger, use this finger. How can I be better? What are the things that I can do? Like Check yourself first. And so I think over time, when you make mistakes as a strength coach, as a personal trainer, as a fitness professional, you realize, okay, like... I can make this mistake and not learn from it, or I can make this mistake, this mishap, this slip up, this failure, write it down and take it into action and learn from it. 
And so some of the pieces I've seen, maybe someone got hurt. Maybe someone's traveling too much. Maybe they didn't like your program. Maybe they didn't like you. Maybe they didn't like the, the gym that they were going to. Maybe they felt uncomfortable. And those are some, some possible scenarios. Fortunately, knocking on wood, I've never had that type of situation occur where you know, they never, like they ended up never getting back to me. There have been people who maybe they ignore you for a week or two and they just say, Hey, I'm sorry. I've been busy at work. I've been traveling and that's fine. Or, Hey, you know, I've been really sick, stuff like that. But more often than not, most people will come back and, and give you an explanation. And if they want to move on, Hey, it's all good. Like I tell every single athlete, every single client, I hope you fire me someday. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't fire me, that tells me I didn't do my job of building your ability to be independent with, from a strength and conditioning training standpoint. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful. I, you know, the reason I asked that question is I just, you know, go back to my, my days. I mean, it's just, whenever you're dealing with people, it's really easy to say, I'm not, you know, the, I have, I have no responsibility here when the truth of the matter is that it's a co-creation. Mm-hmm. And when you can, you know, you can only control the things that you as the coach can control. And I think that we tend to not look at that and look at how we co-created this experience and how sometimes when there's a lack of adherence, sometimes it comes from a place of overwhelm. Maybe you've like, from a really good place want to just tell them that's my problem like I do all these things and then they get so overwhelmed and deflated and feel like they can't do it that they end up just abandoning it we think that we need to overcomplicate when oftentimes the answer is just be simple mm-hmm. yeah to, to, to piggyback off of that because that's such a great point I recently had my mother-in-law uh so my wife's mom say hey like I want to get into fitness I want to lose some you know whatever I want to train I want to whatever right and someone who's fairly new to exercise training, strength training, activity, or fairly green, kind of like a blank white canvas, is I want to train seven days a week. Let's get after it. And I'm like, okay, like I love training as well. I've done it for 25 plus years. And so I don't need to, you know, press a button or change an emotion. It's just a lifestyle thing for me. I wake up, I go, it's part of of my character. It's part of my, who just who I am. It's my, my routine, my DNA. When someone is not built or designed that way, I think we as professionals need to understand, okay, what are the lowest hanging fruits for someone who's brand new? Mm -hmm. Is it training seven days a week? Probably not. Is it lifting weights for 30 minutes, two days a week, five very simple exercises, and recommending walking maybe once or twice a week? Maybe that is a lower, lower hanging fruit that someone can achieve and obtain. Because to me, more and more you realize the person who thinks training is like going on outer space into Mars, which it is for a lot of people, is how can I help them build consistency and not worry about intensity? We all get worried about how intense someone is, how the amount of vigor and how much how rigorous an exercise. And that's awesome. Like if you're powerlifting or lifting heavy, you've done for a long time, cool. Like throw out, it's fun. Consistency though, like help a client, a new athlete, a new client stack wins first. Have them do it for four weeks. Have them do it for eight weeks, 12 weeks. Then we can start layering the more, like you had alluded to, more things that might seem overwhelming up front. Hey, you've done this for, you know, 12 weeks, Beverly. You're awesome. I'm going to add a couple other, you know, spices or twists in because now you've already built up the basics. And so, you know, plug up, nice plug up to my mother-in-law. She's been doing it for three weeks, twice a week. She's crushing the weights. She's walking out, hits me up. I'm like, yeah, let's go, you know, be encouraging. So it's it's fun for me because I get to work with my mom, my mother-in-law, 
my wife and also like athletes around the world and clients around the world. So like, I'm very, very fortunate. But I think the most important thing is I don't care who you are, where you're from, what your background is. I know that I'm I'm serving you. And that's an important component that I always have to check myself, like my ego at the door. You know, that that's super important. At least my, my at least my 16 year old athlete I, that I train throughout the year keeps tells me that. So I got I got to hold him. You got to hold me accountable. I mean, I think that's powerful. You know, I think that that people forget that confidence comes with competence. And this is true for your clients too. At ever at every level, whether it's gen pop or you're training athletes, is that they need to believe that they can do it. And you get to facilitate that type of transformation, which is super powerful. So that point, like, okay, I remember such a great point. Such a great point. Thank you for saying that because I almost forgot. In undergrad, I, I was in a class called Health Behavior Change. 19-year-old, 20-year-old, Matt's like, this, this is dumb. Like, I don't need this. Like, this is so stupid. Like, social social, social change or behavior change theory, trans-theoretical model. Like, this is so dumb. Like, what, what, I'm never going to use this. It's literally the number one thing I use because self-efficacy, if you do not believe in your ability to achieve or complete a task, like, I can't put that level of conviction in you. Like, I know when I walk up to a barbell, like, I am going to lift that. At least I believe that in my mind. If I can't help you build that ability in in that mindset in yourself, you're not going to. You're not going to believe in yourself. So I think the biggest thing for me is always encouraging my athletes and clients, always giving them positive and negative feedback, but showing them, hey, here's where we kind of made a mistake, but here's where you can be more awesome next time. Go, Go get it. Fist bump. Let's go. And I think helping them build their self-efficacy, like I had, I called my mom this morning, like, you know, when, when in doubt, call your mom and I'm chit-chatting with her. She's like, I love my training program. I love my routine. I'm like, she's been doing the same one for like five months. She loves it. That's fine. She's consistent. And she's like, what did she say? She was like, I, I believe now I believe. And I was like, damn, mom, that, that's so damn powerful. Like, because you know, neck injury, shoulder injury. Now she's like, I believe I do it on my own. I got this. So I'm like, F yeah, let's go. So that to me is, is, is very powerful. So thank you for bringing that up. Self-efficacy is like the number one thing for me, the number one thing. Number one thing. Absolutely. And honestly, that if you take nothing away as a listener from this call, it's this, because once you can really help empower someone in two ways, right? In, in helping them expose their own gap, where you ask the powerful questions that help them realize that there's a gap, as well as get them to buy in for themselves and they get to that there is experience in, or, or that they're, they build confidence by seeing that they can do it. That is the number one, best, fastest, only way to help them become a client and then sell themselves. Essentially, yep. you, you don't so have true. that. That's the work right there. So true. So it, 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 it's the most important thing because again, that that's also getting them closer toward being independent. If you have an athlete or a client who is dependent on you for literally everything all of the time and never grows away from that or gets away from that, I, to me, like, I don't think you're giving them the skills. And that, that's such a crucial point. Yes. So good. Okay, Matthew, this has been amazing. And I really want to be mindful of your time. So thank you, thank you so much for pouring in to me and into us. So for those of you who are listening and they want to work deeper with you or learn more from you, where are some of the best places I can send them? 
the best and easiest place is Instagram. Instagram, Matthew Ibrahim underscore. That's the best place to catch me. I'm there on there all the time. Sundays I take off, <laughs> but that's the best place. If you shoot me a DM, like I'll, I'll always respond. Ways to work with me. All the links are there, but just hit me up and, and I'd love to interact and engage. I think that's such a fun part of what we get to do, not what we have to do, what we get to do. Thank you for taking the time as well. I thoroughly appreciate your time. You've been a wonderful host and anything I can do to help and give back, let me know. I mean, this has been so fun. You're so kind. Thank you so much. I love it. I'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.